I'm going to preach a simple message this morning, simple message on the most sublime topic that there is, and that is the greatest gift of all, eternal life in Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all. Now there, there are great gifts that we receive. My wife, she always does an amazing job. She just knows what to get. She gets the best gifts. Me, not so much. Um, anyway, uh, so sometimes you get those great gifts where you open that up and you say, oh, wow, thank you. How did you know? And then other times uh, you get other gifts where you say, you shouldn't have done it. No, really, you shouldn't have done it. <laughs> okay? And uh, you get some of those. So uh, the best gifts, though, the best gifts are those gifts that have lasting value. They are the gifts that just keep on giving. Thank you so much, young Johnny said to his grandpa over the phone. The drum set that you gave me for Christmas is the best gift ever. Oh, said grandpa, so you've learned to play it already. Johnny replied, oh no, I don't play it. Mommy gives me a quarter not to play it during the day and daddy gives me a quarter not to play it at night. Now that's a gift that keeps on giving. Eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord has to be the greatest gift ever because it's a gift that keeps on giving. It gives to us in this life, the abundant life, the joyful life, the life in Christ that we receive on this side of heaven and then it keeps on giving into the eternal state. Now the Bible clearly says that this Eternal life in Jesus Christ is a gift. It's a gift. You cannot earn it by human merit or by good works. The Bible could be, couldn't be any more clear on this topic. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. And that speaks of eternal separation from God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could earn your way to heaven, first of all, why would Jesus have to come die? Why would Jesus come if we could earn our way to heaven? And if we could earn our way to heaven, then we could boast. We could say, well, I got myself here. And the Bible says no one can boast of eternal life. It's a gift that's given through Jesus Christ. The Bible ends with a great invitation. Revelation twenty-two seventeen 17 says, Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whosoever, that's anybody. Whosoever will, let him take. Anybody who wants it. Anybody who wants it. They don't have to re reach some subjective standard of good works. They don't have to be religious enough, pious enough. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life. The water of life, that's a euphemism for salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus called it living water. It's like a fountain that produces eternal life. He says, a person that wants it can take of the water of life freely, freely. It's a gift. 
It's a gift. It's the greatest gift. The greatest gift of all. We're going to focus our attention on one of the most concise yet comprehensive verses on this subject, and it's the most famous verse in the Bible. It's going to come up on the screen. Would you say it with me? John 3.16, as we consider how great this gift is, we're going to focus on this verse. Let's say it together, everyone. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're going to direct our thoughts on this verse this morning as we consider the greatest gift of all. And first of all, I want you to notice from John 3.16 that eternal life in Jesus Christ is the greatest gift of all because it comes from the greatest motivation. It comes from the greatest motivation. How does the verse start? For God so loved. For God so loved. The motivation for God to give eternal life through Jesus Christ, the motivation is love. It's the greatest motivation. There's other motivations for sure, and there are legitimate motivations in their place. There's the motivation of fear. We do a lot of things because we're afraid. There's the motivation of duty or obligation. And that's, that's a legitimate motivation. But eternal life was provided by a greater motivation, the greatest motivation, and that's the motivation of love. Think about it this morning. Love is our greatest need. Of course, we need God, and God is love. But love is our greatest need, to love and be loved. That's why the topic of love is the most prominent topic that we read about. More books have been written about this topic or including this theme than any other theme. It's prominent in our movies, in theater. It's prominent, it's the most prominent topic for sure in the music world. If you're an old timer this morning, uh, re, uh, would you finish this lyric from a song from 1965? All right, here we go. 1965, finish this lyric for me. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. The, the lyric continues later. It says, not for some, but for everyone. Not for some, but for everyone. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if the world needs love, they can have it in Jesus Christ because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. He loves everyone. You see, God is love. He is love. The Bible says. He not only gives love, he is love. God is the embodiment of love. For God, love is essential to his infinite character. It's no fickle thing. It's no fluctuating thing. It's a part of who he is. It's not prejudicial. It's not preferential. He is perfect in love because he is love. As it relates to God, love is simply a spontaneous determination and display of his whole character. And that's why the Bible says he loves everyone in the world. He loves the whole world. 
Love has been confused by some to mean some soupy sentimental thing, some indulgent softness or passivity. And because of this confusion, people say, hey, how could a loving God send people to hell? Have you heard that before? How could a loving God be, be, be wrathful? Well, God's love goes along with this holy justice and wrath. They don't contradict. God loves the people of the world, but he hates the evil that has corrupted the universe. And when a person sins, they put themselves in the path of God's displeasure. There's nothing contradictory about that. Love that embraces evil is no love at all. And so God is love, the Bible says. He also is light, the Bible says. He is absolute holiness. He is absolute justice he is absolute purity and he will not allow sin in his immediate presence and so in love even though God judges sin severely and his wrath is poured out against it and he won't allow it into his immediate presence and so uh, sinners are consigned to hell the Bible says still in love God provides a free way for men and women like you and me to escape the eternal punishment of sin and go to heaven and spend eternity in God's new universe. He made a way. He made it a gift. He did it without circumventing the human will. He offers it freely to whosoever will take it. What a wonderful message. We see from John 3.16 as well that love is an action word. For God so loved the world that he gave. And we all know this. Love is an action word. It's not just something you say. It's something you do. For example, what if I said to my wife, I love you. I just don't want to talk to you or spend time with you. Would she believe me? What if I said to her this Christmas, honey, I love you. I just didn't feel it necessary to buy you anything for Christmas. I mean, you have me. What more do you need? That's what you're thinking, I'm sure. You say, Pastor Zach, you don't love your wife if you don't want to spend time with her, talk, talk with her, or give her anything. You can say you love somebody, but love is something that has to be proven. And so God so loved the world that he gave. It's the greatest motivation for the greatest gift. The greatest gift is the greatest gift because it comes from the greatest motivation. Let's consider Point number two, not only is eternal life in Jesus Christ the greatest gift because it comes from the greatest motivation. From John 3.16, we also learn that it's the greatest gift because it extends to the greatest magnitude. He loves the whole world. For God so loved the world. I, I personally believe this is impossible to misinterpret. It's impossible to misinterpret unless you're imposing some view on the Bible that's not there. It's not the American world. It's not the African world. It's not the Asian world. It's the whole world. It's not a select few. It's not an elect few. There's no geographical boundaries to God's love or ethnic boundary or relational boundary. How big is God? He's infinitely big. How big is his love? His love is infinite. He loves the world. God's love is an expression of himself. So anyone who would limit 
God's affection is in, in a sense limiting God, an infinite God that doesn't extend his love to all creatures is a contradiction. So the verse is crystal clear. God loves every person in the world. Can I get an amen on that? God loves every person in the world. That's why the Bible reads this way. Listen, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. 1 Timothy 2.4, who, speaking of God, will or who wants to have all men to be saved. God wants all people saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.6, who gave himself a ransom or a ransom payment, who gave himself a ransom for all. 1 Timothy 4.10, who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Now, salvation is only effective for those who believe it, but it's, it's sufficient. It's provided for every person. Jesus died for every person. That's why Hebrews 2.9 says that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I find it interesting there that repentance is used as a summary, summary word of salvation. You have to turn from your sin in your heart. You have to acknowledge that you've broken God's moral laws and you stand condemned and you can't go to heaven the way you are. And you have to turn from that mindset. And repentance causes you to go in a different direction and you turn to God and you call out to him for his his eternal gift of salvation, humbling yourself and trusting in Jesus and him only. And you can only come to that place when you see the serious nature of your sin. It's called repentance. Repentance. And God says, I'm not willing that any should perish. I want every person to come to a state of repentance so they can be saved. 1 John 2, 2. And he, that's Jesus, is the propitiation the appeasement, the payment for our sins, appeasement to God's justice, Jesus only, being the righteous one. He's the propitiation, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 14, the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And I could go on and on and on. Back in 1959, this new laundry detergent came to the market. And their marketing strategy was genius and their branding. The name of it was All. All. Why? Because laundry detergent was becoming a global market and everyone wants clean clothes. And everyone wants every stain gone. And so they didn't just name it some. <laughs> or almost all. They named it all. I like that. Aren't you glad this morning 
that John 3.16 doesn't read, for God so loved some of the world, almost all of the world. Instead it reads, for God so loved the world. I can say by the authority of the word of God then this morning that God loves every person here and he wants every person here to know eternal life. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to guess. There is nothing between you and, and that, that realization. You could make that decision in a moment's time. You could make that decision now in your heart to trust in Jesus and his sacrifice and his payment for you on the cross as sufficient to save you from the awful penalty of sin and hell. You could make that decision now. There's nothing, there's nothing that is hindering you. God wants every person here to know that, to do that. Amen. That's why it's the greatest gift. It's for everybody. Some gifts are only for some people. This gift is for everybody. So it comes from the greatest motivation, love. Eternal life in Jesus Christ extends to the greatest magnitude, the whole world. Number three, it's produced by the greatest means. Let's see how it reads. For God so loved the world, we dealt with that, that he gave his only begotten son. There it is, the greatest means. God the Father gave his son, God the Son, both divine in the Trinity, both one in the Trinity, essentially equal, different in person and function, but God the Father gave his only begotten Son, eternally begotten Son, only Son. He gave his only Son. I don't know, I mean, I've, I tried as I studied this to, to come to a greater awareness and appreciation of this. It, it, we're, 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 su we're such finite beings, it's hard for us to, to understand the significance of this. What is the significance of this sacrifice? Well, first of all, I think we need to understand the word sacrifice. Webster defines sacrifice this way. Giving up one thing for the sake of another. When you give up one thing for something else, you're making a sacrifice. That's pretty simple. I know that's basic. It might not contain the full meaning of the word, but I think that's, that's a basic meaning. When you give up one thing for the sake of another. In the Bible, the concept of sacrifice means that the thing or the person, sacrifice, is offered in the place of another, bearing the curse of their sin. And so we see this starting in Genesis 3.21. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. As an animal was slain to provide clothing to cover Adam and Eve and their shame because of their sin. And so God's, God slew an animal and the one thing was sacrificed. Then we read about Abel's sacrifice, Noah's sacrifice, Abraham's sacrifice, Job's sacrifice for he and his family. We read about the sacrificial system given to Moses and the nation of Israel and sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice is made. 
And the theme stays true throughout the whole Bible of this idea of a, of a sacrifice providing deliverance through substitution. And then God makes the ultimate final sacrifice for sin and the payment of sin when he gives his own son, which is in essence a self-sacrifice because Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is God, so God gives his son and God gives himself. Whoa. God gives his son, God gives himself. You say, Pastor Zach, don't all religions involve sacrifice? Yeah, but only biblical Christianity has God giving himself. You will not find that anywhere else in any other religion. God giving himself? God giving himself? What a wonder. What are, what are we worshiping today? What are we celebrating today? God giving his son and God giving himself. That's the Christmas message. I read on historycollection.com the story of John Robert Fox in an article of one of the most heroic stories of self-sacrifice. During World War II in 1944, John Robert Fox found himself fighting against the Nazis in Italy. It was there where he was tasked to stay behind in a small village in Tuscany. The village had been overrun by the Nazis and the Americans were in retreat. Fox found a house to hide in and from the second floor, he used his radio to contact his colleagues. He called for artillery fire to be directed at the village in order to give the U.S. forces more time to retreat, to regroup and then launch a counterattack. Fox even specifically ordered a barrage of fire near his exact position. The gunner who received the message pointed this out to him, assuming he was making a mistake. Fox, however, told him to fire anyway, believing that although he would probably die, many others would be saved. That's a small and similar picture of what Jesus did and what God the Father did, as God gave his son, Jesus gave himself so that we could be saved. It's the greatest means, a gift provided by God himself, the sacrifice of God himself. Last point, we see that eternal life in Jesus Christ is the greatest gift of all because it comes from the greatest motivation. It extends to the greatest magnitude, the whole world. It comes from love, it's for the whole world, it's produced by the greatest means, God gave his son. And number four, it makes for the greatest message. Amen. The greatest message you could ever hear is found in John 3.16. How does it end? Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the greatest message you could ever hear. That's the greatest message you could ever believe 
or I could ever believe. It's the greatest message ever told and that will be told. God gave his son so that we could all have eternal life and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This constitutes the greatest message on this sin-cursed earth. Eternal life is available. It truly is good tidings of great joy. The penalty has been paid. The way has been made. And the gift can be received in a moment. There's no process. There's no work to be done. Faith is an attitude. It's not, it's not an action. It results in action, but it's not an action. It's an attitude. And if you'll believe in your heart that Jesus is God, he's the Lord of the universe, if you believe that, if you believe in your heart, you believe that he died and rose again in payment for your sin, and you call out to him in faith and ask him for his gift of eternal life, you will be saved from the awful penalty of sin. And when you die, you'll experience eternal life. In fact, you're given eternal life before you die. The moment you receive it, you have it but you experience your full inheritance and redemption the moment you leave this body. And it's the greatest message ever. A few years ago, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, Mike and Bobby Ashmore, they're sitting right back there. Uh, they used to live in Georgia and they would come visit us in Connecticut. And now we live uh, down the same street here in Pensacola and we're so thrilled that they're here with us, members of Campus Church. But back then, they would come for a regular visit, and they came for a regular visit. And uh, while they were visiting our house, this bird flew down the chimney into the fireplace. And it was stuck. And it, it, would, it was flapping its wings trying to fly out, but it couldn't. And so for more, <laughs> never forget this, we're sitting there in the living room listening to this bird in there. And for more than a few minutes, we were discussing what we were going to do to solve this problem. My idea was light a fire and uh, barbecue the bird, <laughs> but uh, that was waved off quickly. Um, that was cruel. But anyway, uh, we were thinking about what we're going to do while this bird is scratching and clawing and squawking real loud. And it, uh, this bird was beating itself to death. Finally, after the thing had worn itself down and it was a little quieter, my father-in-law he just reached right in there, grabbed it by the legs, and let it out the front door to safety. He just reached in there, grabbed it, took it out, let it fly. I said, wow, that was amazing how you did that. Later I thought to myself, and I wrote this down, isn't it tragically pathetic how before its salvation, our little visitor frantically tried to bash its way out of its dark prison. The harder it struggled, the more pain it caused itself. In the end, it simply had to stop, stay still, and let someone bigger reach into its dark world and carry it to a larger, safer place. So many people out here today, this morning, are trying to earn their way to eternal life or nirvana or whatever. They're on this ladder system of good works and religious effort. I hope I'm good enough. 
I hope I'm good enough. They're trying to work for their own salvation. And they're trapped by their own feeble attempts to free themselves when they cannot. If only they knew the good news of Jesus Christ and his salvation. God reached into our dark world and he offers eternal life. And those that receive it freely, not of their own works, but trusting in his and him alone, those who receive it escape and have eternal life. The Apostle Paul knew it. The, the Apostle Paul experienced it. The Apostle Paul believed it and he wrote, thank God, thank God for his unspeakable gift. It's the greatest gift ever. It's unspeakable.